We are the movement. I like what that says. I know it's kind of fast and jittery and a little jarring to read, but uh, we are the movement. And it was going through from Jesus, the time of Jesus' disciples, that time in history to uh, today. Going all throughout history. I'll post that again and you can watch that, maybe read it a little slower uh, this week. Can I ask a question already? <laughs> yes, Nancy. Okay. Disciple can be anybody, correct? The apostles refer- What are you getting at? Well, the apostles referred to the original. Ah. But a disciple can be anyone that follows mm-hmm. in Christ's yeah. Christ. Disciple is anybody who follows Jesus. Apostle... We are also sent out ones. That's what the word apostle means. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. Apostles. But he did give special power to these original apostles to do some pretty special things. If anybody's been watching The Chosen, anybody watching The Chosen? Chris and me. Chris, me, and Rachel. Have you heard of The Chosen? Yeah. Check that out. There's lots of shows on Netflix and TV and everything that... But there, this season, we just watched uh, last week or the week before, they were sending out in two, two by two, to all these different places, uh, empowered to heal people, you know, cast out demons and, and do all these other miracles and things. His special apostles to kind of kick off the, the whole Jesus movement. So it just means sent out ones, but they are this special. Jesus chose them. But Jesus chooses us, us too, and we are... The movement. We are his disciples. We are his sent out ones. We are the movement. Not just, oh, those original disciples, the original apostles. They did that. We read that. That's great to know what God already did in history. No. We want to read and and understand, realize what God is still doing in our world today. Through us, what he wants to do through us. Um, what he's entrusted to us. What he started 2,000 years ago, he wants to continue on through us. Not our mission, not Dan's mission, not your mission, his mission. Sometimes churches come up with vision statements or mission statements. And uh, what I would recommend to any church is to do what Jesus said. (laughs) Because he's already given us the mission statement, the vision statement. Go and make disciples of all nations. We're going to read that in the book of Acts. If you want to turn there with me to Acts chapter 1. That's what Acts is all about. Acts chapter 1, picking up where we left off last week in the New Testament. This amazing book that uh, the author Luke wrote, if you weren't here last week. This is Luke's sequel. Sometimes you you watch a movie and you go, oh, I wonder what happens next. What's going to happen with these characters after this movie? This is Luke's sequel. He's saying this is what happened after the, the gospel of Luke. Jesus lived died, rose. This is the best sequel ever written. Empire Strikes Back is probably second. Okay, but the Acts of the Apostles has got to be number one. All right, here we go. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He, that's Jesus, presented himself alive to them after his suffering, and here's what we're going to focus on, by many proofs. Appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. That was what he preached about all the time. We're going to pause there and uh, read more in a, in a couple minutes. But first thought, if you have, write this down. 
that Jesus isn't just one theory. We have proof. Jesus isn't just one theory out of many. We have proof. So we're going to get into the what in a few minutes. What do we do? What are we called to do? But before we get into the what, we need to know the why. Don't you need to know the motivation before you do something? The reason why you're going to do it? And why would this group of the original apostles, disciples, ordinary, untrained men, the scriptures say, ordinary, how would they go from everything they've worked towards their whole life, their business, their family, how would they go and just give up everything to follow a no-name preacher from Nowheresville and give their lives and literally sacrifice their lives, almost all of them, I think, most of them uh, died for Jesus, martyred for him. Ordinary people giving up their lives for Jesus. Because if you were around Jesus and you saw this with your own eyes, you saw him, or maybe you didn't see him, you know, you knew he was not resurrected, you wouldn't die for a lie, would you? You wouldn't die if you knew that Jesus was a fraud. And a fake. And if you knew the resurrection didn't happen, like some people say, oh, the disciples, they took the body, they buried the body somewhere else, they just pretended like Jesus was alive. Okay. If they did that, they wouldn't have died for him. That's proof right there that the original disciples who saw with their eyes and touched his wounds with their hands, they knew, they had proof that he was alive and so they gave up their lives for him. And they became passionately, courageous, bold, fearless to live and die for Jesus. You don't do that if Jesus is a lie. And so I love to look at these original disciples and say, okay, they must have knew, known something. They knew the fact of the matter was that Jesus really was the promised Messiah. He really was the Savior, prophesied thousands of years ago, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a, a horrible death on the cross. So much pain that they invented a new word. You know that? Excruciating, out of the cross. They had to invent a new word because it was so uh, just horrific and taking on God's punishment for his sins, the, the wrath for sins for mankind. And so they knew that he had done all that and was truly alive again. Truly alive. And so they gave their, their lives in. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, they trusted, they believed that the Savior was risen. I love how uh, the, the NIV, Luke writes this in the NIV version this way. Jesus presented himself to them and gave them many convincing proofs. Say it with me. Many convincing proofs. One more time. Many convincing proofs proofs that he was alive. Jesus didn't die, raise from life, and then go outside the tomb and go, oh, you know, and ascend and just disappear. And everybody's going, where'd he go? Where'd he go? Oh, he may have been raised to life. I, I don't know. I think I haven't seen him. No, he appeared for 40 days. 40 days before he ascended because he knew that he had to show and give people many convincing proofs, evidence that he was alive. And so he appeared before hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people for over a month 
after he was raised to life. Evidence that he was who he said he was, that he did what he said he would do. The Greek word for proof is tekmerios. Tekmerios, and it means a sure sign or proof by incontrovertible evidence. That's what these uh, original disciples had. And the people around there, incontrovertible evidence, beyond a shadow of a doubt, this man who died, I saw him on the cross. He really is alive again. His followers had that. With his own, with their own eyes, they saw. With their own hands. Can you imagine touching the scars, the wounds, the holes in Jesus' hands? You know, he had a resurrected body, but I think he left those in there just to show people, just to prove, like, it is really me. It is really me. And then he passed the baton on to them. Okay, so here's uh, who I am. Here's what I'm doing. I'm alive again. And now it's your turn. And now your mission uh, is to continue my mission. You are my disciples continuing what I started for thousands of years. And that's how we got to today. If people hadn't continued what Jesus started for thousands of years throughout the centuries, we wouldn't be in this building worshiping the Messiah today. But they faithfully continued this Jesus mission. Uh, we have uh, just one example. There's more in your notes. But people like Peter who wrote uh, these words, For we were not making up clever stories uh, when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes. And that's the kicker right there. You're in a courtroom and somebody says, I'm an eyewitness. And they testify. How powerful is that evidence? Eyewitness testimony is critical. And, and they had uh, so much compelling evidence from him. Now, we weren't there. And we didn't see him with our own eyes. Raised to life. We didn't get to touch Jesus. Um, but... <laughs> We are fortunate enough to have many other evidences, um, I might call them proofs, uh, many other compelling evidences of why I believe that Jesus is the Messiah beyond a shadow of a doubt and not all these other religions, that Jesus is the one way, the one uh, life, the one true path to God, the way, the truth, and the life. Not just one theory out of many, what did Oprah say a long time ago? There are many paths to what you call God. No, that's not, that's not how Jesus works. Sorry, Oprah. Sorry, not sorry. That is not how Jesus works. That is not how God works. Not all paths lead to God. In fact, all these religions, so many of them, contradicting one another, they can't all be true. One wants to kill the other ones. One thinks that they're infidels and... And one has a savior and one you're your own savior. It's just, it, they just don't mesh together. Jesus is the one way, the one truth, and the one life. The only way that we can get back in right relationship with our Heavenly Father forever. Now we've talked uh, before about different evidences of Jesus. And I'm going to send out some bonus content on the church email. So, you know, we're not going for an hour or two this morning. We, people take... Semester, you're welcome, by the way. People take semester classes on you know, evidence of Jesus and all these different things. You can watch the Case for Christ movie, that's good, or read the book. Um, but what I want to do is give some other compelling evidence. So, 
One of them is um, holy people like Muhammad or, or these other folks, Buddha. You know, uh, they often have not Buddha necessarily, but they have temples. Uh, you got to go to Mecca. You got to make your pig- pilgrimage to Mecca. There is this this prophet or this holy person. They have their tomb enshrined. Do you know where Jesus's tomb is enshrined? Where do people go to visit Jesus and put out pictures and candles and pray in front of his tomb? Nowhere. Because we don't know where his tomb actually was. If he, if he had died and not risen, people would be flocking to, to this holy person's grave where they died and they'd be setting out you know, all these candles and things like they, like they do. Nobody's at Jesus' grave because he's up there. Because he's alive. There's no uh, enshrined holy site. Another one, there's so many specific prophecies. I think six or seven hundred, I forget the exact number, uh, in the Old Testament, prophesying exact, specific details that you could not make up because it would not come true. Born of a virgin, that's a pretty big gamble since that's never happened in history and never will happen again. (laughs) Things of that nature. Bethlehem, who picked Bethlehem, you know? This little town out in the sticks. But all these specific prophecies fulfilled, 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 fulfilled. And some still waiting to be fulfilled when Jesus comes back. But so many of them have been fulfilled by his uh, life. Hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years. That's pretty convincing proof, uh, evidence to me. Another one is all these Bible manuscripts. If you look into it sometime, the, the detail and the the precision that these scribes would take and throwing the whole page away if they messed up, getting the exact, as it's passed, the, the scriptures, the Bible's passed throughout history, uh, writing down the exact words of the original scriptures to the letter. They even found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some of you are familiar with that. These uh, scrolls that had been in these jars in this cave for like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. They compared them to the other uh, scrolls and scriptures that have been passed down, same. So we have accurate evidence uh, with these manuscripts, proof. There's also sources outside the Bible, not just, oh, the Bible, uh, the internal test that it says that itself is, you know, you're, you go inside the Bible and say it's the Word of God. Well, people who are atheists, they'd say, well, you're using the Bible to prove the Bible, and that doesn't add up very well. So, well, there's sources outside the Bible. Roman uh, writers like Josephus and Tactitus, among others, uh, talking about Jesus, the Messiah. They might not say Messiah, but he was a real figure. And they're, they're just writing things that go on at that time. Archaeological evidence. There's a desert here. And people read the Bible and go, oh, it looks like if you calculate this, there was a town there. And so they dig and they find a city that said there was there in the Bible. And they're digging up archaeological evidence, coins with like people's faces on them from the Bible. And we can know through archaeological evidence, these many convincing proofs, that the scriptures are real, that Jesus is real. And you could spend hours and hours Googling this stuff. I'm giving you a real Reader's Digest version. If you young kids know what a Reader's Digest is anymore, that's what they used to say. Scientific discovery, always catching up with the Bible. I love this. They... Uh, find some new scientific discovery and it's like, well, the Bible talked about that thousands of years ago where eventually they realized that the earth was round, Rachel, and uh, <laughs> she's a flat earther. Just kidding. She's, 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 she messes with me. And thousands of years ago, 
Uh, is it in Job or other places? It talks about God is above the sphere of the earth, you know, this thing. And uh, there's, there's lots of, look it up. There's lots of scientific things in the Bible. The, the Bible wasn't written to be a scientific textbook, but there are things that you go, wow, they knew that, they knew that, they knew that before it was discovered by modern scientists. Check that out sometime. Experiential evidence. When people read the Bible and give their life to Jesus, they are changed. So many people's lives just totally flipped around. Evidence, more proof that Jesus is who he says he is. Did what he said he did. Done did what he done said he did. I don't know how you say that. But he has the power that he says he has. Experiential evidence. And um, through nature. Through nature. There, there's different scriptures in your notes that talk about just the evidence if you look around. <laughs> How can you not believe in God? Because all of this could not have created itself by chance or by accident. That the perfect ways that the universe came together, that the earth came together, that our bodies and animals and the, the water, how that works and uh, how we're able to survive and breathe oxygen didn't happen by chance, by accident. There has to be a higher power. So look around. And be amazed at what God has done through the universe. You can look out at the stars. You can look on the earth. You can look in a microscope and see the, the precision and detail that God has made. It's, it's really quite stunning. Orderly, way, perfect, and beautiful. And that's why 20 centuries later, we can still be very confident in the hope that Jesus is alive. Amen? We don't just worship Jesus because we have nothing better to do. We don't just come and gather together and read the scriptures and, and pray to somebody who we don't have any evidence, any convincing proofs. Um, we don't just trust, you know, that our grandmother believed this and so I guess it's true and it's what, uh, you know, uh, is around in American Christianity. So I'll just, sure, I'll say Jesus is real. No! Believe on your own. It's okay to have doubts. It's okay to, to search and, and to wonder, is God real? Is Jesus real? And please do, because it'll back up your faith. And then go look at all the evidences and all the convincing proofs that are out there. And it is numerous. All the many, many, many ways that we can trust and believe that Jesus is real. So have you given your life uh, to Jesus, have you trusted and believes and believe, believed in His convincing proofs, or are you kind of chugging along on your your parents' Christianity? Oh, find find it for yourself. Check this out. I'll, I'll give some resources in the church email this week. If you're not signed up for that, let me know and I can put you on there. But never ever ever forget, and be sure to teach your kids that the Bible is real people, real places. Real history, not a fairy tale. Our Savior is real. He's real. And He's the hope of the world. Alright, so that's the why. A little bit of the why. Now, what is Jesus' mission? How are we going to accomplish it? We're just going to uh, read this next section today and keep reading through the book of Acts. But take a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 4, please. 
Now that we know why we're doing what we're doing, what do we got to do? <clears throat> How do we accomplish it? Verse 4, And while staying with them, he, Jesus, ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're waiting on this kingdom that he's been preaching about. Verse 7, he said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will... And this, this verse 8, I just want to say, this is the verse of Acts. Okay? This is the central theme, the hinging point, that everything on the book of Acts goes out from. Verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my, what? Witness. Witnesses. In Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. Who do you think those are? Angels, Angels right? And he said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. That's where we're going to stop today. Jesus said in, in the immortal words uh, of Jesus and Arnold Schwarzenegger, right? I'll be back. Right? That's what he did. And then the disciples are looking up and they're like, well, how about that? How about that? And the angels are like, okay guys, he's gone. Nothing to see here, nothing to see here. Now go do. Go do the mission. Passing the baton. It's on to you. Jesus is up. That doesn't mean we just stand there and stare at him. He has work for us to do. Here you go. Last thing, a thought if you're taking notes. Jesus has given us a power, a purpose, and a plan. A power, a purpose, and a plan. All great preacher words that start with P and go together. So we're going to talk more about this in the coming weeks. Uh, the power, the purpose, the plan that, that God's given us uh, through Jesus and His power, uh, the work in the world. But I just want to give a little uh, overview, this action plan that Jesus calls His apostles to and how they can accomplish it. So, Jesus' purpose, He says it in verse 8. Purpose is to be His witnesses. His witnesses. Uh, to share the hope of Jesus, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, to keep this thing going. That's why, like I said, we're here today because people did this mission throughout history so that other people, uh, you know, they didn't hoard Jesus to themselves, but they uh, helped other people to know Jesus so they can have abundant life that starts today and goes on forever in his kingdom that he will set up when he comes back. All right? And... Um, to move out further and further and further. So I like this little map. It's kind of like you take a rock. Anybody ever thrown a rock in, a, in water and it goes blue, right? And it ripples out. That's what it is. So if you look at a map, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the, the earth. See, it's, it's, it's moving out. It's uh, start locally, you know, go regionally, and then nationally into the ends of the earth. In this Jesus movement, it started with the Jews, 
And, and they shared this message of Jesus the Messiah. And then as we go through the book of Acts, we see God working through Paul. We'll get to Paul, Rachel's favorite guy in the Bible besides Jesus. Okay, we know that. And it moved out. And the Gentiles, now he's going on all these missionary journeys. And he's making these big loops around Italy and stuff and Rome, you know. And so that's, that's what we're called to do, to start locally and to go out. And some people, they go on missions trips. And that's great and fantastic and that's needed. But we don't start around the world. Hopefully they don't either. I'm, I'm not picking on them. I'm just saying we start across the street. Sometimes it's easier to go across the world over to Africa or Haiti or, or South America or, or Mexico or something. It's easier to minister to people countries away, oceans away, rather than the person that is your neighbor or right across the street from us. So think about that this week. A little guilt trip there, Dan stepping on toes. But before we go across the world, go across the street. Do you know your neighbor's names? Oh, ouch. Or do you just wave at them as you go in the garage and close the door and want to have nothing to do with them ever again? <laughs> this is a modern America. And we're kind of islands to ourselves. We've got to break that. People used to sit on their front porches and talk to one another. And then they invented the air conditioner and television. And that was kind of it. <laughs> so now we just wave and say, get out of here. I don't want to see you. I'm doing my own thing. But we've got to break that. Because your neighborhood, Northbrook Lane for me, that is our first mission field. Okay, I changed that. Home is our first mission field. The children in our home. The people in our home are our first disciples. And then we go out from there to North Lane or wherever you live. Our neighborhoods, Troy, Miami County, Ohio, United States of America, and to the ends of the earth, the world. Rippling out. And a lot of people, they'll never make it to Africa to, to minister to people. That's okay. That's okay. But we can, and we'll talk about this uh, more in March for Marching for Missions Month, is that we can support missions around the world. And other folks, we can, we can help contribute towards that. Um, I just got an email this week from Lord's Harvest International, uh, our missions group around the world. And they said, hey, we need bicycles for pastors. And gas is like $6 in Africa, which is like, I don't know, how many hundreds of dollars here because they make a lot less than we do here. But we need bicycles for them to go to these neighboring towns and we need Bibles and we can support that. And we do. But we also want to start at home and locally. That's why we talk about loving our city and the world. So that's a, um, that's a plan. There's a purpose. Be as witnesses, go make disciples of all nations. There's a plan. This is how you do it, sort of practical steps. But none of this could be done without a power. Without a power. We cannot do this on our own strength. And we will fail if we try. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing on our own strength. Let me get this out for you. Uh, I'm awake. <laughs> Shauna, I warned you, if you fall asleep, like home alone, this will be coming. I love, uh, I love little kids. You may know that about me. I love doing stuff with little kids. 
like little projects and things. It's so fun. And they're little tiny grubby sticky fingers, right? Okay, we're going to build this project. We, they grab onto that hammer and you put that nail there and you don't want to get your finger smashed by their hammer. So what do you do, parents? You hold the hammer with them, right? Or else you will have a black and blue finger. It has happened. You hold that hammer with them. And I don't have a little kid up here right now, but they hold the, the hammer and the adult, the parent, the daddy, right? He holds it with them. And you work on that project together, right? Now, who's really got the power? Is it the little kid who's like, I got a hammer, oh, you know, in the eye. No, you, the, the dad that, or the mommy or whoever, the parent has the power. Our Heavenly Father has the power. We're just, we got our grubby little sticky kid fingers and we're just grabbing onto that. Letting uh, him use us, work through us, that's great. That's important. But he's got the power behind us to do the work in the world. He's the one supplying the, the target, the, the plan, the aim, right? So we don't smash our own fingers or somebody else. He's the one who, his, his spirit is empowering us to do this work. Not on our own. Now the kid, the kid's like, wow, I'm so strong, daddy. Look what I'm doing. You know, as they're not, as you're aiming the hammer. Look how strong I am. Look what we built. And you're like, I'm glad you feel that way. Technically, you did almost nothing. But, but I love you. And you got to do that to learn how to do stuff, you know. But I aimed. I provided the power. You were there and then you left because you were bored and you got some snacks and you played. And then you came back as I was finishing up and you did the project, right? If you get to thinking that you're so high and mighty, you do it on your own power, we need to check ourselves because it's only the power of God. He supplies the strength and the power to accomplish his mission in the world to get the, his job done, what he's called us to do. And this is really cool. Um, not this, but the, the Greek word for power that is used here in verse 8, the hinging point of the book of Acts. Power. Does anybody know uh, what the word is kind of like? Here, let me just light this. No, just. <laughs> yeah, first confetti and now. Right? Dynamite. Dynamite. The Greek word for power is dunamis. Uh, dunamis, right? And it's where the Swedish chemist uh, got the word for dynamite. It means power. It means strength. Uh, mighty, wonderful, marvelous works. Dunamis. It's where they got the word dynamite from. And when you light a dynamite, and I don't know if you've ever, I wouldn't recommend, don't do this at home, right? <laughs> don't, don't do this at home. You know, you light a stick of dynamite, ups, you know, and then the cartoon Bugs Bunny runs away or whatever, and they stick it in Daffy Duck, and a, boom. When you light a stick of dynamite, something happens. Something powerful is going to change. There's a big boom and a big explosion, and Things were not like they were before. Something changed. You don't have to say, uh, did somebody use a stick of dynamite here? I can't tell. <laughs> it's going to be very altered, than it, uh, much different than it was before. 
you can tell. Huge explosion is going to happen. And that's what happens when God's Holy Spirit shows up. Things happen. Things change. Lives change. Forever. The world changes. You see, Jesus lit that spark in his disciples. And he's like, all right, boys, I'm giving you power. Here's some dynamite. And then, boom, all across the world today, almost to every single reach of the world, there are a few tribes left that maybe we haven't translated the Bible into. But by and large, we have gone across the globe. Boom, an explosion. Things have changed, not because of us, not because of our power and our strength and our smarts and our skills, but because of God's dynamite power inside of us, causing that change, giving us strength, making things happen. Massive power, massive change. That's what God did in the early disciples and these apostles. Boom! Making things change. Giving them dynamite power. But he didn't just do it back then. He gives us this dynamite power from God's Holy Spirit today to do His purpose and His plan in this world. To fill believers like you and I. Not just Matthew, John, and Peter, James. To fill you and I with supernatural wisdom from the Spirit. And strength and confidence and power and courage and boldness and skill and insight and ability and authority. Because, not because of who we are, but because of our strong daddy working through us. He's the one with the power. And when he gets a hold of somebody's life, his power can change everything. I hope, I hope that he's changed your life like he's changed so many countless millions and billions of people's lives throughout history with his dynamite power. Remember that today as you go from here. His dynamite power. Maybe you're Wiley Coyote chasing a roadrunner. You know, and just get that image in your mind. The power that not you can do, but that God has given to us through his spirit, through his son Jesus. Do you have that power inside you? The power that changes you and me and changes the world around us, I hope and I pray. So, when do we receive that power? Anybody know? When do we receive the dynamite power of God? Shout it out. When do we receive that power? Baptism? But what does baptism represent? Mm -hmm. Right. So it is a baptism, yes. But there's two baptisms. I don't know if you know this. We don't need to get into this in detail today. But there's a baptism of the Holy Spirit. And there's a baptism of water. Two different baptisms mentioned in the Bible. The baptism of the water. The water isn't special. The, you know, you're just taking a quick bath without soap, right? But it's representing of the work that Jesus has done in our life. And the baptism of the Spirit is what happens inside our heart when His dynamite power has changed our lives. When we trust and believe, when we repent of our sins and turn to Him, that's when we receive that power. And then we show the world the power that we've received, the decision we made for Jesus when we go under the water and show us going from 
death to life. So, we're going to sing our last song. And I'm going to drop stuff and hope nothing explodes up here. What do you think? Is this a real dynamite stick? Do you think I... Don't do it! Don't do it! <laughs> Who was it? One of my kids asked me this morning, Mayor or Azra, is that a real dynamite stick? I said... <laughs> I don't think you could buy a real dynamite stick. They wouldn't say that's illegal. It's got to be illegal. But no, I hope you know this morning, there's still so much work for us to do. Jesus is not done with the world yet. He's not done with you and me yet. He's not done with the people around us yet. And I, I know sometimes we're scared. right? We're nervous on our own strength to live out this mission. But you know what? Jesus didn't call the original disciples to be. He didn't call them to be theologians or philosophers or even great leaders, although some of them were. He called them to be witnesses. Witnesses. And you and I can be witnesses. That doesn't take a whole lot. You know, it's a first step to sharing with other people about how Jesus has changed your life. Your Jesus story, your testimony. We can do that, right? We're good at sharing. Our own, we like to tell people crazy stories that have happened to us throughout the day. And can you believe this car did this in front of me? And this person said this at work. And That's your personal story. Share your Jesus story. Be a witness. That's what he's called us to do first and foremost. And um, share how God is, Jesus has changed you and how he can change them too. Start with that. Just, just start. You don't have to. Some people say, oh, I don't, I don't want to. Tell people about Jesus. I'm not called to be an evangelist, although everybody is called to be a witness. Uh, maybe not a full-time evangelist around the world, but we're all called to evangelize and to preach the gospel. And we start with witnesses. But I don't know, I don't know every verse of the Bible, Greg. I, don't, I haven't memorized them all. What if they ask me a question that I don't know? What do I do? What do I do? You say, I don't know. I'll look that up. I'll find out. We don't know everything. But we start by being a witness and by sharing what we do no. And so may we leave today empowered by Jesus to be his witnesses and to do his mission work in this world. Let's stand together and praise our Savior.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your work in this world through Jesus on the cross to make everything well with our soul. That doesn't mean everything's perfect in our life. That doesn't mean we don't get sick or have financial or marital or job difficulties or kids not listening. But that does mean that eternally we have this hope and this joy and this peace and this love that is transcendent of anything that could happen in our life. Nothing could ever hurt that because you are our powerful God and you have given us your powerful Savior who has transformed history and the world and the universe and our lives. I pray as we go from this building, we are your church in the world representing you and your power to the people around us, being your witnesses so that they can know your saving power too. Troy V. Church, we thank God. Most of all, for who? Jesus. In his name, everybody said.